You're listening to the Pursue God Family Podcast, the official channel for marriage and parenting topics at PursueGod.org. Join Tracy and Brian Dwyer every week as they talk about living biblically in an increasingly secular world. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org slash family. Well, today we're going to be covering lesson three in our series New Marriage, Same Couple. We're on with Josh and Katie, authors of the book. We encourage you to pick up the book down below, links below. Make sure you go through the series with another couple, maybe with your small group of marriage, small group guys. Today, we're going to be covering chapters 8, 9, and 10 in your book. And the, the overall idea here is you need to allow others to be part of your story. If you want a new marriage, if you want to really hit that restart button on your marriage, you really need to do it kind of opening up to other people. I think at, fir- at first glance, people might think, Josh, that we're talking about, like, make sure you get a really good marriage therapist. Is that what we're talking about in chapter eight? You know, there are, uh, there are definitely times where that is helpful and encouraged, maybe even best practice to check in periodically. But in our story in particular, I don't think, you know, anybody would argue with uh, the need to see a specialist, whether it's for a medical issue, for a counseling issue, whatever it whatever it may be. But I really think in most cases, when it comes to marriage, what God desires to use is much like the disciples he called. I've always loved that passage that people took note that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And uh, mm-hmm. that's always been encouraging for me because it's what I feel like I am, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, in our story, it was moving to Charleston, coming out of being pretty isolated, I would say crowded loneliness. Like there, we were in a church, there were people all around mm-hmm. us, hundreds of people that knew our names, that followed us on social, that would say hey and see us at the grocery store. But in the thick of marriage, when when stuff was kind of falling apart, there was nobody close enough that we could kind of let into that mess. And so um, ultimately, I think that's a big part of what got us where we were. But in moving to Charleston, um, we tried reaching out to a bunch of different therapists and had a really tough time um, for a number of different reasons. And it ended up being a small group that we joined uh, with a couple leading it that had never been through what we were walking through, uh, but they were committed to opening their home to us. They loved God and they believed in us and God used that that group and those leaders to, to really be what brought about breakthroughs. So I'd say the principle for this section is really more about taking an honest look at at are we allowing others to be a part of our story, not just by way of physical presence, but in terms of relationship, access to our, our lives and hearts and issues, and mm-hmm. that being something God uses. Katie, be honest, did you want, was there a part of you that didn't want to open that up to a small group or to another couple? I mean, was because I think for a lot of our listeners, Sometimes there's shame around your, mm-hmm. you know, marriage struggles. And mm-hmm. is that the kind of thing that maybe kept you at first from even wanting to be known? For sure. You know, I look back on the six years before kind of this big public fall and we were leading small groups. We were in small groups, but there was so much pretense, so much um, telling the right Christian things. You know, maybe we would talk about like that one sin struggle that everybody's kind of like, oh yeah, me too. You know, (laughs) we'll pacify that. And this season was so different because we were so very broken and there was so much shame, but I was so exposed. And so when we moved here, there was no hiding it. 
And that ended up being a grace to us. I know a lot of couples go through something like this or they're going to rebuild their marriage and they are picking and choosing which parts to share, you know, what parts to open up about. That was not our story. We were fully open and vulnerable. I felt as if everyone knew, even if that wasn't the case, you know. So in those moments, did I absolutely hate having all of that exposed. Yes, but it really changed us. It changed us in an incredible way for the better. And it still, you know, has borne fruit in our lives 16 years later, because I know, I know what hiding feels like. And I know when you're with people that you can actually be your full self, you know, that you can be vulnerable with. It's changed It's changed us, which I think has then changed the communities that we're in. Yeah. And there were so many dynamics at play for us in that season. And that, like one of which, for example, Katie still wasn't sure if I genuinely loved her and, and wanted to build something new or if I just wanted to win this fight over Katie. And so she didn't... She didn't fully trust that my intentions were pure or that I had the right motivations. And so anything that would come up during the week, and as you can imagine, walking through something like this, like the stuff you're struggling with week one, it might be something totally different the fourth week of the month because you're trying to grow through this struggle. And so I I realized really quickly that home wasn't going to be a safe place for us to navigate conflict. And so I wouldn't touch anything Saturday to Thursday, and and I would literally keep notes if an argument came up, if something that felt like it broke trust, and uh, we would get there early and talk with the leaders. We would stay late, and um, I would I would bring a list just because I wanted a, a mediator to be able to have a safe conversation and her not feel like I was, you know, going after her or, or, or targeting her, and so there was a lot of dynamics each week. But I feel like the the desperation of it, realizing I cannot make her love me. There was no switch I could flip. I was hopeless and trusting, pleading with God Well, in this environment with other leaders that were going after God and believed in us. I just put all my chips in that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you know, looking back on that time, because we say a lot of times with counseling, you know, we both have our master's in counseling, so we do think counseling is effective, you know, as a tool. But oftentimes you're going to a counselor that's trying to get at the problem. Who's the problem in the relationship? Where did the problem happen? Where's the trauma point? And you're really not paying for their experience in marriage. You don't know anything about their experience in marriage. You don't know anything about the health of their family. You're paying for that license. And when you go to somebody like that in a point of pain and it's not future focused, it's not hope filled, it's not, we believe in you. We know God can get you through it. We know that God can work a marriage. Um, you can you can end up feeling like you're even worse, you know, than when you started. And so I'm in counseling now. And the interesting thing is now that I'm in counseling, my perspective is starting with me. My perspective is saying, okay, where where can I grow? It's not like trying to win a fight, you know, between the two of us. So I just think it's important to recognize timing in a situation when you're trying to rebuild a marriage. I think the most important thing in allowing others to be a part of your journey is that it's a couple who does love God, who believes that he can work all things together for good, that has hope for you when you don't have hope for yourself. Um, Without that piece of it, you know, I don't know that just being safe and vulnerable um, gets you where you want to go. But with those two things hand in hand. 
I'm curious to know what, what was the indication that this was going to be a safe group or a safe couple for you to even open the can of worms? How did you know? What did mm-hmm. they, what did they reveal about themselves? What did they say? What was it about them and the group that made you feel safe? Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, haphazard or random us just showing up at a group. We had definitely done some, some homework. Katie's mom lived here in Charleston and uh, this guy was a pastor at the church, and she would often send me some of his messages. And so I had driven down to meet him one time before we moved. And he was one of the first guys that I felt like as husband, father, pastor. Uh, he was a fit guy, really passionate about his walk with God, uh, amazing marriage, like he and his wife. You could just see this like flirty, fun health to them. Their kids were in ministry, and I feel like the majority of things I've really been able to to go after in life or things I've seen, like I just needed a vision and, mm-hmm. and meeting with him. I was like, man, if we can get through this and I can in any way come out of it resembling this guy, it's, it's what I want. So I had asked him before we moved, I was like, Hey, is there any way if we move down here, could I wash your car, cut your grass? Like, <laughs> I'll do whatever it is to, to be around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, just he definitely the... didn't ask him to take him to lunch for hours every week, which this <laughs> yeah. generation does. Yeah. Like, will you mentor me for hours every yeah. week? You know, it's yeah. more like, can I come serve you mm-hmm. is yeah. the best path. But... So when I asked him that question, can I cut your grass, wash your car? Can I get some time with you? And he's like, well, we're actually kicking off a, a marriage small group. And man, this would be perfect. Y'all could join that. We'd have time together each week. And so that was really what made, I, I feel like a big green light of coming here and that we had a, we had a tribe. We had bounced around to a couple of different counselors and, you know, it, it's just in general, a, a principle in a time when you're desperate for community, isn't the best time to find it, mm-hmm. you know, just because mm-hmm. it takes time and, and work. And it's the same with counselors, man, when you're in crisis, I'd say it's best, best to find one when you're in a healthy season, when you can mm-hmm. kind of shop around, meet some people, learn some about their values. Cause we, we just had some, some poor counseling mm-hmm. and that came down to not sharing the same values mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. uh, those kind of, those kind of things. So yeah, we, uh, we had our eyes on them just because they seemed to embody much of what we wanted. And so the fact that they were kicking off a group just made it perfect. And so within probably six weeks or so started off with maybe 10 couples and, uh, over, over time, it was a short group anyway, but there were people that kids sports had started up or their job shifts had changed. And so it ended up being Katie and I and Mac and Cindy every, uh, every Friday night. Wow. And so, but some of the things that I tell people to look for is, I mean, it was early on, they were like, well, we've never been through that. Max, my best friend, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm thinking, great. I don't even know if I like this guy, you know, <laughs> and he's your best friend. But when I would be scared of me, if I would say like, you know, Cindy would say, what are you scared of? And I would say like me, mm-hmm. what if I do this again? Like, you know, mm-hmm. she, she had hope. She had so much hope. And she would say, you know, you don't need to be scared of you. God's got you. God is big enough, you know, if you'll cling to him. So I think you know these healthy couples that when they really speak hope and life into you in your dark moments, you can feel that, yeah. you know, that people can't fake that. And so that you want somebody that's going to give you wisdom, biblical truth, correction, but overall knows like 
hey, God's got his hand on your life. He's going to get you through this, you know, has hope for you. And we still do this to this day. I mean, there's still couples in our life that if we get into an argument, if we get into a thought pattern, a perspective, if we keep, we say sometimes you get in those arguments, it's like you're flowing in the same river. You may be fighting about different things, but you get to that same like touch point and we'll say, let's let's go over to Rebecca and Tim's house and see if they can help us get perspective on this. And that is very hard to fight in front of other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recognize that. I don't that. think it is now. now I love it's it now because <laughs> it, it, tempers it your, tempers your language. Mm-hmm. There ain't going to be no name calling. You're not going <laughs> to yell. You're going to think carefully about the words you're about to say and how they sound coming out of your mm-hmm. mouth. And so I feel like, man, for the... And we don't do that for every argument now by any means. But what that season taught us was that, man, there's something, and it's part of God's design and why I think this principle is so important. You, uh, I've heard it said we all have somebody you'll break all the rules for. And so, like, mm. especially in marriage, like, man, you can compromise. You would never yell at somebody like that at the grocery store. But at home, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like you'll break the rules. You can let yourself do and become someone that you don't want to be. Yeah. And there's something about sitting across the table from somebody to humble yourself and talk about a, a pain point you keep, mm-hmm. you know, button up against that, man, I think we, we had more breakthrough in an hour with Tim and Rebecca. Oh, for sure. Than we had had in a couple months of for us sure. rounding that mm-hmm. same. And just the posture says, you know, don't like fix him, <laughs> you know, or you're, the posture is, okay, help us, mm-hmm. help us see fix us to move forward, you know, in this moment. And so I do think that's an important, like that posture of humility. So you, it sounds like you just changed the names. So you just said Tim and Rebecca. So have there been a couple of different couples that have walked you through some of this? Mm. Since we first got to Charleston. So Mac and Cindy were the the couple that our first, and it was really our first taste of Mm what I would say is real community. We Mm -hmm. led small groups, were a part of small groups, but they were more about acquiring knowledge and having friends. Wasn't really about authenticity, Mm -hmm. transparency, prayer, and our brokenness and pain points. Um, It was more like Christian club vibes. Mm -hmm. And so moving here broken and hurting, I think we, we got to begin without any posturing or pretense desperate for God to move in our lives and and marriage. And so it's been sweet now being here 16 years because, uh, and I still, I think it's our flesh and natural tendency to drift back into posturing and pretense and realize like, oh, I don't have to be that guy anymore. I can can share our our stuff. And so over the last 16 years, yeah, there's been four or five different, you know, kind of the Persons of peace, couples that you know love God and that it's easy to connect with, and you know they're going to say hard things to you and shoot straight with you. Mm-hmm. And um, we've we've just asked, hey, we're struggling with something. Can we come over and talk with you about it? And it's not something they've they've modeled for us necessarily. More something we we kind of picked up along the way that when you come across a couple that you know they don't have to be just like you, you can be really different than you, but you know that they're gonna spur you on to be the husband, to be the wife. They're going to fight for your marriage, pray for and encourage you. It's like, man, that's the kind of voice that'll Mm -hmm. help you break through. Okay. So I can hear some of our listeners saying what you're describing, I would, we would love to have in our marriage, but we're not sure how to find it. 
So mm-hmm. do you have some just real practical tips before we move past this for people yeah. who maybe have been in a small group and it just, what you just said resonated with them. Like, yes, it's just social club. It's just community. It's not real community. It's not, we, we're being fake still with each other. We're not able to get to some of these issues. What are some tips for how to find that couple or a couple of couples? Mm-hmm. I'd say two things. One is more internal for the listener and your heart. I've heard this quote that the greatest enemy to the life you've always wanted is the life you're living. And so if you heard that a few minutes ago and it resonated and you were like, oh man, I want that. Mm-hmm. Well, just know the the natural response for all of us showing up to a group because we know community is important. Uh, it's going to be much more easy and natural for you to not share the real pain points in your life, the insecurities, the fears, the arguments or struggles in your marriage. And and there's a place and time for it. I'm not saying if you're a part of some large, you know, 15, 20 person group that you want to go in and just put your put your stuff on the table. Have have wisdom with the people around you who you're talking to, who you can share with, a leader can can help you do that. But I think mm-hmm. taking that step practically, which we can talk through some of that, starts with you deciding. I'm, I am going to change this. I'm not going to settle for this surface faith where I don't really share and lean on other believers to help bring about some healing, freedom, and, and breakthrough in my life. So one is an internal conviction. But secondly, um, I would say one real practical thing that we've done since this season is knowing that um, I think used to, we had this kind of like fixation on the total package, like who is... We're looking for this modern-day Adam and Eve to mentor us with clothes on, and uh, like, how do we, how do we, how do we do that? And so, but what we do now is that, um, you know, if we see, like, I think of of so many couples, uh, Vern and Migsy Jensen. Vern passed away a few years ago. Uh, They were in their 80s. They still swam at the county pool every day together. And I heard this story. They swam in the same lane, and they did it because every time they passed each other, he would pat her bottom. (laughs) And I was thinking, like, I want to be the dude at 80 that's still scheming of ways that I can pat her bottom every time I pass by, you know? And so for them, it was like, hey, how have you cultivated physical intimacy over so many years of marriage? And there's so many stories of things they did for a whole other podcast. But, well, there's another couple, Jim and Martha Wellborn, they're in their 70s, still go on mission trips all the time, uh, older in age, and you just don't become missionaries at 70. And so mm-hmm. for them, we were like, hey, we want to cultivate a heart of missions that that we embody that at your age. And so whether it's they're flirty and fun or they're missional or they're they're orderly and productive with their kids or family or, you know, I would just... I think if we maintain, which disciple means learner. And so if, if we can maintain a posture of learning with other couples in our life, if, if maybe like Mac and Cindy, for us, we moved here, like they, there was just a health and strength to them that I saw and wanted. And the closer mm-hmm. I got to them and the more I wanted. And so I would just say, if you can identify what is the need in our life, what is the need in our marriage, who are the people God has placed around us that embody that? It's okay mm-hmm. to ask for it. Like, man, I see this in you, and I want it. Can we grab dinner and talk about yeah, it? Yeah, so let me summarize for our listeners, because I think this is really good for people to hear. You guys were proactive about it. It's two things, is you were looking for stuff, and it's you both have masters in counseling, so it's not like you were expecting someone to be smarter than you or more yeah. ed- educated than you in this area. These aren't professionals, just like you said. 
There was stuff in their life that was authentic, that you appreciated, that you observed. And then you took the initiative to say, can we get with you? Can we meet with you? Am I summarizing Mm -hmm. that right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, It's uncomfortable, but everything that you want, just like Josh is saying, is often on the other side of uncomfortable. All of those conversations, it's just that one gap, that barrier to intimacy, that as soon as you do it, you find freedom. You'll find joy. You'll find fulfillment. And so you have to push past the uncomfortable of just asking. It's like like you said, no one has ever done that with us. You know, no one showed us to do that or told us to do that. Um, but as soon as you can just say, hey, do y'all have any time we could come over tonight? We are having an issue we need to talk through. You would be shocked at how many people would say yes. I tell couples all the time that need to have a date night that don't have a, the money to pay for a sitter. I'm like, there are so many people in the church, so many neighbors that you know that don't have kids that would love to give you a night out, but you have to ask, you know, no one's going to offer that for you. Like you have to get through that uncomfortability and ask. And if you're at a place where you would just like to offer, Brian, if you could put our contact number and the show notes there, yeah, for we sure. would take you up on any, <laughs> any babysitting <laughs> offers. <laughs> hey, I will say one other thing for folks that, uh, in terms of being on the fence for for motivation, there are two passages that are kind of like core convictions for me now that I think I had read over in the past, but this season really drove home for me. One is uh, James five sixteen, and it's confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Holding that verse in First John one nine, if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Like we know, God is faithful and just to forgive. But there are times in terms of, it's not a matter of, is he going to forgive us for the sin in our marriage and this brokenness? But I just love the thought of that James 5, 16, confess your sins one to another. Man, there's something about sitting before someone and humbling yourself, talking about the stuff that you've walked through and are wrestling with, that you may be healed. God's Mm -hmm. opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's like, man, there's nothing quite as humbling as being a married couple sitting down across from another married couple talking about real things. And so if you're needing a a verse to inspire you, man, that one's just been one that I'm like, okay, this isn't, it is weird, but Mm -hmm. it's not a weird thing. It's a God thing and he'll, he'll use it. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is so important, I love what you said, Josh, about being in the posture of a learner, that that's what a disciple is, that I think for a lot of people, you guys are talking about how, Katie, you mentioned how freeing it was once you just kind of opened yourself up. And a lot of that's because God's going to use the words of somebody else, their perspective, maybe an experience they had that's going to, it's going to introduce new ways of looking at your issues or understanding your spouse that when we just kind of are stuck in our own arguing as a couple and we're entrenched yeah. in their own, our own filter of how we process everything and just kind of start to assume the worst of our spouse. We get stuck in this cycle that's hard to get out of. But when we open ourselves up and invite people to speak into it, like you guys are saying, you grow, you heal, you, you can kind of have a, you can fly at a higher altitude, so to speak, and understand things more completely and to be teachable and to say, wow, you know, to hear you just say that, my spouse has been saying that to me for months, but I didn't hear it from them. I'm hearing it from you. It just it just kind of creates mm. new opportunity for healing and, and new conversations. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know why we do this where we get to seasons of our life where we think we should have it figured out. 
we should know. You know, we've been married 22 years. We, no one's going to tell us anything new about each other or, you know, we can get through this, which is true. You know, you will. You'll come out on the other side. But I think just realizing that in every single season, there are things to learn from the people around us. and But it does take that, just like you're saying, that humility to say, maybe they offer me a different perspective. Maybe they say one thing, you know, that we could take that changes us or that moves us forward. They're not fixing everything. But I know that if they've given you the time and the moment and you've humbled yourself, God will use it, you know, to move you forward together. So Katie, in chapter nine, you then, you talk a lot about the power of shame. Walk us through that from your perspective and then how community kind of helped you get over that or get through it. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of our big barriers to community is that we have this shame. And then unfortunately, as Christians, oftentimes we can beat people down when they're low, you know, with our own judgment, with our own self-righteousness. And um, many of us have probably experienced that. But what I realized in our in the darkest day of our story, and we have talked to so many couples since, we're leading a small group this week, and the couple has been in the same situation. He's been pastoring for a long time. And is in the middle of this same story and, you know, has left the church. And he said, I feel like I'm just learning God's love Mm -hmm. in a way that I've never felt it before. And it's because on those darkest days when all the pretense is gone, there's no hiding the fact that you need the gospel, that you have not outgrown the cross, that without Jesus, there's nothing that you're going to do to look like him even, much less earn eternal life or, you know, the gifts of this life. And for me, that night, that was the darkest moment for me of shame. I saw my Bible. I like grabbed my Bible in the night I was at my mom's house. And in that moment, I heard God say, like, Catherine, I love you. Mm-hmm. I have plans for your life. Like, I knew this would happen, and I still love you. And something about hearing his love in that moment just wrecked me because I realized that he was kinder than any Christian I'd ever known, than any voice that was in my head, that that whole we don't understand the heights or the depths or the width of God's love is true. You know, for our entire life, we're never going to understand how much he loves us and um, how much his love chases us. And so that moment started to break me free from this cycles that shame puts you in. You know, you feel shame, so you hide. So then usually you sin again then you feel shame. You know, it's a total cycle that the enemy keeps you in. But I realized, like, if God sees everything, 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 and still loves us and still has hope for us and still wants to move us forward, you know, still sends his son for us, then maybe I can start to free myself from this people-pleasing, this pretense, this trying to put a certain mask on, you know, at different times. And and I still have to reconcile with that today. I mean, that like Josh said, it still happens where you think you need to prove something, you know, or strive for people's approval or admiration. And that's just because people aren't Jesus, yeah. you know, and we, we all do hurt each other, unfortunately. But when we can recognize that the God who sees it all loves us and that helps us to have vulnerability. And, you know, even this past week, I was going through a struggle that I had to say to somebody, I'm really embarrassed to tell you this. And I realized that, you know, that embarrassment just means shame 
because I know God knows it. And when I did expose that struggle, it actually grew us so much closer, moved me forward, you know, broke down the walls of division. And so I just, that, I, I hope for anybody listening that is, that's a big barrier for them, that if they could just get alone with the Lord, hear his voice over them, recognize from, even from scripture, if they go through and write down all the things he says about them, it could help them to start to have true vulnerability, you know, with others. One like practical way in terms of the power of shame and, and how community helped is that because of the nature of of her sin, she felt like a monster. Mm-hmm. And the thing Katie always said of herself, if people thought of her as anything, it was kind. Like she was a kind person. And here now she'd done the mm-hmm. most unkind thing imaginable. So just in her own skin, she felt like I'm an awful person. And so there was something about um, dialogue with this guy that she felt like she was staying. She wanted to stay. Her heart wasn't here. You know, it was, all of that emotionally was a mess for her. But there was something about going back to him, a text, a phone call, an email that made her feel caring and not feel like a monster anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, anytime that would happen and, and I would find out about mm-hmm. it, which felt like just about every time, um, we had small group that week. And so I would, you know, I would talk about it, challenge her on it, be frustrated and hurt by it, but I wouldn't let it become a big, a big thing in the moment, knowing that we have group that week, we were going to be sitting with them again and Mm -hmm. we would get to the heart of why did you do that? Well, I felt like a monster. Well, I was struggling with shame, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like Mm you not only just having, having a tribe or some people we could sit with, but it was the rhythm of doing it every week especially when we were in the thick of the fight that, man, anytime shame surfaced and fueled a behavior, we could address it and talk about it in a safe space. If I remember your story correctly, so you were on staff at a church at the time that this all came out, right? So then you were asked to leave. You you lost your job, mm-hmm. correct? Correct. Was there anything that your previous church did that was helped? Did anyone respond in any way that was good or helpful to you guys? Or was the response just, listen, you know, you can't be on staff. You're disqualified for ministry at this moment. So goodbye. Like what, mm-hmm. what were some positive or negative things? Cause I just feel like that's a common thing in churches of how you deal with a pattern of sin or something, but then losing sight of, but this person, they need to be restored too. So what's the balance? Yeah. yeah. There wasn't any positive mm. from our the church we were serving in, but ultimately it's one of those like you you hear people go through something awful and say they wouldn't change it if they could. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time the response felt very painful, but mm-hmm. it's what God used to help mm-hmm. us make some hard. I don't know that we would have moved right. to Charleston. I don't know that we would have mm-hmm. been as drastic in our decision making and so there wasn't positives from their posture towards us, but ultimately, uh, now I'm really, I'm really thankful for that. There and was, it is wild how the leadership determines that culture because I mean I don't think we got one text call from wow. anyone in the church. It was definitely like you're just shut all off. across the board, yeah, done. Shut off. But whereas here, when that's happened here at Seacoast over the past 16 years, because the leadership goes in, the staff goes in, the people go in. You know, um, it's wild yeah. that. 
the heart is carried throughout the house like that. And there was another pastor in the area who who mm-hmm. really pastored Josh well, and even me. I mean, he had a woman meet with me who had gone through mm-hmm. the similar a similar story. You know, he he stepped into mm-hmm. the pain. Um, but we didn't know anyone at no. his church, you know, because we hadn't attended his church. He just knew Josh from over the years. And it was very much a like ministry of presence and that he would, he just stayed present in my world, text mm-hmm. me every other day, would call, would stop by, and he was pastoring another church, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just think that was uh, in Columbia, until we moved anyway, his his presence and voice was definitely what mm-hmm. what carried us. Till we got here. That's a good, that'd be a great topic for maybe mm-hmm. our training podcast to have you guys on and, and talk to pastors and church leaders about how to handle this kind of stuff in a way that, mm-hmm. that is helpful for everybody. You know, again, mm-hmm. the pastors want to be, they want to protect the church. I get that, but I'm sure they didn't mean to, I don't, I don't think they meant to sin toward you guys, but that's probably how, how it felt. So that's a whole, that'd be a great conversation for another topic. But Katie, I want to get back to just one more thing for today's episode. And it's what you talk about in chapter 10. You talk about, so, okay, the context for all this is community and how community really brings healing. You can't do this in isolation. And then you talk in chapter 10 about celebrating the markers. What, mm-hmm. what markers are we talking about? And how did that look? What did that look like in your life? Well, the wild thing is um, that that actually came from community. So early on, my mom and stepdad who knew everything, I remember them saying like, hey, y'all need to put something on the calendar in six months or a year where you get away and you know this is going to be behind you or something like that. Well, you know, that just lit me up as like a seven who likes to have fun. I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be a date on the calendar where the, we are done with this. <laughs> you know, Little did I know, five years later, I'm still at a date night crying like, are you sure you were, forgive me? Aww. He's like, yes, <laughs> you know, we've been we've been through this, but it doesn't quite happen as quick as you would like. Mm. But that stayed with me of like, oh, there's, you, we can celebrate some markers here along the journey. You know, we can put some stakes in the ground. And since then, we've just learned what an incredible principle that is, because for couples in pain, when you're trying to rebuild, you need to know where you're going and that you are getting somewhere, you know, and just like if you're building a house, like you don't want to just think there's no progress for years and years. And then it's like, oh, the house is done. People love to go in and check on it. You know, we got walls up today. Now we're doing paint colors. And so that's really what this this is, is just so practically being able to celebrate along the way. The first time it happened for us is I used to sleep a lot because I was grieving. You know, we are both grieving. That that happens when you're in the middle of a betrayal and um, both people grieve differently, you know, and I would just sleep. Anytime we got in a car, I would sleep. I would sleep as often as I could. And one day we went downtown, we played with the girls, we had just the best outing and we got back home and I was like, I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep in the car. I stayed present. I I enjoyed it. You know, it was such a marker and how difficult for Josh to celebrate. I was like, actually wow. the one to point yeah, out. <laughs> he, yeah, he did. And it's like, how hard to celebrate that. We're on the that. drive home and I'm like, She's not falling asleep. What do I say? (laughs) She's still awake. This is a miracle. But I would say early on with this, in terms of celebrate the markers, we had community is really what trained us in it. Because our posture, Mm -hmm. I would say, when we showed up to Mac and Cindy's house was um, hope, fatigue, hurting, uh, powerless, like 
very needy. You know what I'm saying? And so when when that's the seat you're sitting in, it can be difficult for you to see progress. But man, I feel like every week uh, they could they could see the change, they could see the growth. And there were times I felt like they were reaching, you know. But it's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> like like whatever is true, whatever is lovely, is anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Like and so think about such things. And they were that was their their perspective, helping us see like, man, you are moving forward. You're not. You're not stuck yeah. in this. You don't have to be afraid. Look what you're doing. Look what you did. Look and at so. where you are. Just this week, I was talking to a friend who's not in this situation, but they are rebuilding, and they had just done this week-long intensive, and she wanted to come to our small group, and they decided not to. She was super down. And when she called, I was like, hey, look at what you just did. I mean, that was a big deal to go to that week-long intensive. You're moving forward. There's, We got time. You know, We'll do a small group. In six months, we got time. And, you know, that's 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 an important principle is you need people to come alongside you also and say, hey, you are moving forward. Look at this. You've, you're having date nights. You're praying together now. That's incredible. You're wanting to spend time together. You're having fun together. You know, those kind of markers along the journey. So, Katie, in the book, you talk about something that you call the flow state. What What is that in your marriage? And how did you how did you find it? How'd you get there? So I think a lot of times in culture, you'll hear them, you know, people will say like, I'm in, the, I'm in my flow state or things are just flowing in business or in leadership or in church health, you know, that kind of thing. And I think in marriage, you know, that looks like waking up ready to serve each other, excited to spend time together, um, b- being each other's first call, you know, having so much fun together, this thriving marriage, dreaming together, serving together um, that you dream of, whatever those specific dreams are unique to you. But the truth is about the flow state is we're going to move in and out of that, you know, many times in many seasons. And so if you're not in that right now, I think just celebrating markers that get you there, you know, starting with, okay, I really want to wake up thinking, how can I serve my spouse today? I feel like I've been out of that for a while. I just have been focused on my agenda, my day. And so you start there, you know, hey, is there any way I can serve you today? Is there anything I could do for you today? It will change the other person so quickly when you start using that language. But just to celebrate the markers along the way um, when you don't feel like you're quite in in that zone, you know. And then when you are in that zone, not to take take it for granted, you know, to be able to speak life over that, to say like, gosh, isn't this incredible? I really feel like we're doing the work to cultivate our relationship. Not like we're just, I used to think like, we're just made for each other. Don't we have the best marriage in the world? And then you saw where that got us, you know, but the truth is we're doing the work. We're doing the right things, you know, we're doing the right work to cultivate Mm -hmm. this love that God's given us. And so just celebrating that all along the journey. I will say that I think um, much of marriage is spent outside of the flow state. And so I want to go back to, in terms of the theme of this section, allowing others to be a part of your story, to just drive home the point that in every season of your marriage, uh, apart from your personal wiring, you know, supposedly 52% of Americans are introverted. And so for you, recharging is going to be done alone. <laughs> and so at the end of a workday, when you're wanting some rest and your spouse is talking about, let's go to this small group, you've already got an internal mountain to climb to even mm-hmm. even be up for it, much less if you're going through something and thinking that I'm going to go here and share something with these people. And so whether you're starting your career, wrapping up your career, uh, moving into a house, building a house, 
having a baby, raising kids, like on and on and on. It's the beautiful stuff of life. All of it is good and all of it needs community. And it's always going to be a challenge for you to uh, for you to prioritize it. And so just mm-hmm. to be encouraged, if you feel the resistance, man, I'm there with you. It is never easy, uh, mm-hmm. but I've got so many examples of me begrudgingly going with Katie to group when, if I'm being honest, it's the last thing on my list. And there's a moment at some portion of our time together where I just have the thought or feeling of like there is nowhere else on the planet I'd rather be. Mm. And so if you're Mm. wanting to get to a new place, man, there's a lot of things that you can do in the short term that'll bring about some breakthrough and healing and and freedom. But if you're wanting to live in a new place, I'd say there's no other way to do it apart Mm. from allowing others to be a part of your story. Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.